have a story for you. A young governor was in his motorcade, and he was traveling to a gala that night, and in the limo that he was in was his 12-year-old daughter and his wife. And the limo driver swerved, saw something in the road, road, uh, flipped the vehicle over to the point that they lost consciousness. Now, when the governor wakes up, he realizes what has gone on, and he's still upside down. His daughter is over by the window, and she has a, a shard of glass in her neck, and she's unconscious. So he starts freaking out. He jumps out of the limo. By then, the message has already gone out to the medics that the governor has been in a crash and they're on their way and as the medic is driving up he is running over to the medic to grab him and take him to his daughter but then there's a scream and both of their attentions look over and there's an older woman on the ground who must have been struck by the limo and she's bleeding and not only is she bleeding the governor walks over and sees her now she's an older woman and her clothes are a little tattered and whatever was the contents of her purse were kind of scattered out. And there's a, one of those cheap uh, cosmetic cases that was smashed. And, and there was a macrame ring holder with a, a lot of rings on it. And, and there was blood. Now the medic has to make a decision because the governor is already trying to pull the medic away from the woman so that he can address his daughter. If you were the medic what would you do? Would you help the woman who's a nobody? Or would you help the 12-year-old daughter of the governor that's upside down in the limo? Now, today's text is all about that. It's a very similar story. So I hope you have your Bibles with you because I need you to turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And we're going to look at a very similar story, but the story I just told you, don't worry, it's made up. So er everything's okay. Tammy's like, of course it's made up. Um, but in this text, though, it's not a made-up story. This is a true event. It's a narrative. And we're going to find that there's a 12-year-old girl, and she is dying. And we're going to find a uh, an older woman who is bleeding out, who is bleeding. Now, it's taking a while, but she's bleeding. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, Begin at verse 21 with me. I'm going to read the whole text, and then we'll get into the actual passage. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. Now, he remember, he left the demonic last week, the guy that went by the name of Legion. There's an army of demons that was in this guy. He gets cast out. He's told and encouraged to go tell his family and friends about what Jesus has done for him. And so he gets back in the boat, and he heads back over to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is Jesus' headquarters. This is where he has performed most of his miracles. This is where he has his shop, so to speak. And a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Verse 22, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Now, another text, a parallel passage, says that she's 12 years old. Do you know when a, in, in Jewish tradition, when a, man, when a boy becomes a man, what age is it? 13. 
Right, bar mitzvah. Do you know what the age is for a woman, a girl to become a woman? It's 12. Just entering into the flower of her womanhood, so to speak. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So Jesus is on his way. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather had grown worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd. And look what she does. Touches his garment. For she's thinking to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, hey, who touched me? Specifically, who touched my garments? And his disciples, I could imagine very incredulously, uh, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched my garment? And it's one thing to feel being touched, but it's another thing to say, who touched my garment? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him, the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing, now you may have a little footnote, Uh, the word can also be translated, and Jesus ignoring what they said. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. See, in that culture, in that time, when you passed away, if if someone in your family passed away, you had to bury the body that day. With that kind of climate, without modern technology, without refrigeration, the day the person died, you were to get them into the ground as soon as possible. But not only that, even if you were a poor person, you were required to hire professional mourners. Now, this guy is a wealthy guy. He's a leader in the synagogue. He actually runs the worship service at the local synagogue. And so he's going to have some wealth. He's going to have some money. And he's going to have a throng of people there that have been hired to wail and mourn. So you can imagine how fast this is going. And suddenly Jesus says this, And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Verse 40 says, And they laughed at him. I mean, these guys are professional mourners. They know when there's a dead body. And they're laughing at Jesus. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. It's a story within a story, a narrative within a narrative, an event within an event. And yet 
there's this crisis that happens in two people's life. They both have needs. But before we kind of jump back into the text, I want you to see the contrast of people, though. The main characters in each event. First of all, we have Jairus, who has very high standing in the community. And then we have a woman who's a nobody. She has a very low standing. Um, the crowd parted for, for the, the leader of the synagogue. He was able to come in front of Jesus and bow down in front of him. And the woman had to fight her way to get to Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever been anemic. Tammy's been anemic before. Where suddenly it's like, uh, your hemoglobin is so low, you shouldn't even be able to walk. And I had to go into the hospital and have four pints of, of blood, four units of blood. When you're anemic, you have no strength. You're tired. It is just takes everything you can to get through the day let alone get through a crowd she had to fight her way through Jairus because he was in charge of the synagogue had personally invited Jesus to come speak at at this very same synagogue he has a personal relationship with Jesus Jesus knows who he is this woman she hasn't even met Jesus all she knows is she's heard that he's a healer Little girl is 12 years old. The woman had been bleeding for 12 years. He asked Jesus directly. She doesn't even ask. She, she tries to sneak it. He approaches from the front. She approaches from behind. He's the leader of worship. Because of her condition, she's not even allowed to go to church. She's considered unclean because of her illness, her disease. She hasn't got to go to church for at least 12 years she's an outcast so not only is she physically suffering socially she is barred from fellowship can you is it starting to sink in about these two contrasts of people he his need everybody knew it was a very public need very few people knew what she needed maybe the doctors did he went on behalf of his daughter. She went on behalf of herself. He was wealthy. The text says that she's bankrupt. No social security. No family to take care of her. She's on her own. These are truly polar opposites. But here's what they had in common. They both had a need that only God could fix. And they both had faith in Jesus. Somehow, some way, they knew that Jesus was able to deal with their situation. One had that personal relationship, one didn't have a relationship with Jesus at all. Now, there are going to be four things going on in our text that are going to fight their faith, and they overcome them, but there are the same four things that happen in our life that cause us to doubt, that cause us to be fearful, that cause us to say, Where are you, God, in all of this? And what we can learn from this text is that, man, we, we can be encouraged to trust Jesus. To trust Jesus no matter what. To trust Him when life is hard. To trust Jesus when life seems to be against you. Do you know those families that, that are in our world and it seems like every bad thing always happens to them? And then there are other families in our society that everything good happens to them. And when you're in this camp and it just seems like, Life is set against you. It's hard. It's hard to trust him when 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 you're lonely. 
and your relationships are crumbling and there's dysfunction in it and there's stinking thinking and, and your values tied up into something other than your relationship with God and to trust Him when your body is broken, when your body is hurting, to trust Him when you lose a job or lose a child, just lose your way. Do you know we have something unique here that the world doesn't even know? We have found our way through Christ. But there are times when our faith wavers just a little, when that, that moment in life where there's a crisis and, and, and we're struggling. And there are four things that are going to happen in, in this text that, that we need to look at. The first one, it's not apparent, but let's go back to the text for a moment. Beginning at verse 21. Says Jesus, he crosses back over to the side, and verse 22 says, One of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and do something. Help me. Save me. Now, here's the fill in the blank that, that will be up on your screen. Because it's not exactly apparent, but it will in a moment. Jesus, Jairus had to trust Jesus no matter his current reputation in society. Here's where I'm going with that. Jesus' popularity has, has swollen to its climax. And now, in Jesus' life, the leadership of the Jews want to kill Jesus. They're going to take him down. They're already plotting his death. And that is the same leadership that Jairus is a part of. So Jairus's group of people have made a statement that Jesus is doing what he can do by the power of the devil, and we're going to get him. And Jairus has to make a determination. In spite of the reputation of Jesus in my culture, am I going to stand with Jesus? Am I going to go to him? Am I going to... He actually is in an act of worship according to the, the, the text. The, the Greek word means that he's bowing down to Jesus out of reverence and out of an act of almost worship. The crowds, they still like Jesus. But what happens when our culture that we live in doesn't like Jesus anymore? The crowd maybe that you're running with doesn't see your love and devotion and worship of Jesus as something to be admired, but maybe something to be despised. And that can test your faith when those around you begin attacking Jesus or Jesus' people or the church. In Jairus' case, he chose to bow down before Jesus even when his culture was beginning to go against him. You know, when you stand for the things of Christ, our culture now, not 20 years ago, not 30 years ago, not when we were in high school, Cheryl, but we get labeled now. You're a homophobic. You're narrow-minded. You're a backwoods thinker. You're so intolerant of uh, progressive movements. And suddenly, the culture is moving away from biblical Christianity and you're going to have to make a decision whether your faith is going to follow this route or you're going to stand with Jesus. 
Jairus had to make a decision. Now, it was prompted by a need in his life, and he realized, I don't care what my upperlings think about Jesus. I know that I can go to him. He's worthy of our trust. The second thing in our our text that fights our faith is found with the unnamed woman. Her superstition was wrong. You know, if I just touch the hem. And by the way, uh, in, in the Old Testament, it was required of men to wear little tassels on their clothing. And that tassels were made of a blue cord. And they were, every time a man was to see his own clothing, it was to remind him about the commandments of God and God's faithfulness. And so, even though she was superstitious by, oh, if I can just touch his tassel, I will be healed, she had faith. She had faith that Jesus could do it. But this is where she struggled a little bit. You need to trust Jesus no matter how you feel. That's the second fill in the blank, how you feel. I want you to get in the mind of the woman for a moment. This woman has feelings of rejection, maybe shame, maybe guilt. Maybe she even thinks that God is punishing her. She doesn't want to go stand in front of God. If anything, she wants to hide from God. But at the same time, she needs something from God. Feelings of failure does the same head job on her as it does on us. Sometimes we don't feel worthy. So we approach Jesus from behind. We think we can somehow get close enough to him for him to help us, but not close enough that he's going to look us in the eye. Because we have shame and we have guilt. We feel like a failure sometimes. We don't feel worthy. You know, I love the prodigal son. It's, it's a story that Jesus tells about a boy who goes off and, and, and wastes his father's livelihood and his money and his estate, and he comes back, and he won't even look his father in the eye. But the father does what? father embraces him. See, the boy didn't want to even be called a son anymore, and he just wanted to be a hired hand just so he could eat again. But the father probably had to lift his eyes up so that they would have eye contact. And even though we don't feel worthy, we have to be reminded of not how we feel, but the facts. And the facts are these. That God loves you. That God loves you. In spite of our own feelings of inadequacy, even our own feelings of failure, of we don't measure up, that somehow the things that are going on in our life we somehow deserve because we haven't been the perfect child to God. We haven't been the perfect person. We haven't been the perfect spouse. And God says that's not the way it is. Let me encourage you to trust Jesus no matter how you feel. Often we do not feel worthy, and we must remember the fact that God what? Is God what? Loves us. Say it with me. He loves us. On the train of life, feelings are to be the caboose. Did you know that? 
In the train of life, our feelings are to be the caboose. You know what's supposed to be the engine that drives feelings? Our faith. Don't let feelings sideline your faith. Trust Jesus no matter how you feel. He is worthy of our trust. Scripture also says this, that perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And when you and God are tight and right, then you don't have to be afraid of anything. And He has provided the way to get tight and right through Jesus because of His great love for us. So many times our feelings make us... There, I bet you there are... Oh, I'm going to guess, okay? This is just a guess. I bet you there's at least 500 people today in Las Cruces that didn't go to church because they did not feel like they could come to church. They couldn't either walk into His presence or walk into the presence of His body because of something that they feel inside, that they feel ugly, that they feel damaged. And so it's easier to just stay isolated and alone and suffer just like the woman. But she fought her feelings. You've you got to love the woman. She, she fought her feelings and she still allowed her faith to push her forward through the crowd. Third thing in our text that fights our faith is found back in verse 35. Go there if you want to. It says this, while he was still speaking. And by the way, when Jesus heals the woman and he calls her daughter, you know it's the only time in Scripture that Jesus does that? The one who thought she was an outcast and was a nobody is the only one Jesus has ever called daughter. Isn't that powerful? He loves us. And he leaves the woman and the world thou knows. And they're on their way to Jairus' house. And it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. In the Greek, it actually starts with the word dead. That's, that's the leading word in the sentence. You can understand the impact that had on Jairus. Dead is your daughter. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing, or like I mentioned, ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Here's, here's the next fill in the blank that fights our faith sometimes. Trust Jesus no matter what others say. It's too late. It's too far gone. Your child is, is too messed up. Your job is too far. Your finances are through. Why even try? You know, your relationships with your neighbors, the ones that are a little iffy, uh, they're, they're just gone. Everything is just gone. Jesus can't fix this. It's too far gone. If you ever think something is too far gone, that's just the devil talking to you. Jesus said, ignore and then he says this, don't be afraid. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about how the, the disciples were in the boat and the storm came and Jesus called him a sissy. But there are three Greek words for the word fear. And he said, babies, you're babies for, for worrying. That's not the word fear for here. It's the word phobia. When we're afraid, when our feelings overwhelm us because of our circumstances. And Jesus doesn't criticize him 
he says, don't be afraid. But then he says something very interesting. He says, only believe. Now, it's a verb. Believe is a, is a verb, but it's present tense. That means the action is happening. And it's active, which means it continues to happen. In other words, Jesus is saying, keep on believing. Keep on believing. And sometimes that's all we need to be told. Whether we're lying in a hospital bed getting an infusion or, or whether our kids are out of control or whether our finances, sometimes we run out of money before there's month, right? And we still have month to go. And yet he says, keep on trusting me to take care of you. Keep on keeping on. Jesus is encouraging Jairus to stay focused. Don't listen to the naysayers. Look past the problem and see Jesus. Everybody, put, put your hand in front of your, your face. And I want you to just focus on your hand. Can you see your hand? That's your, that's your, this is your current problem in life. I don't know what your problem is, but this is your current problem in life. And I want you to see that screen as Jesus. And I want you to focus past your problem and focus on the screen. I'm not trying to wear, wear you out. You're, you're seeing multiple hands, right? When we focus on the problem, we're focusing on fear. And when we can focus past the problem and onto Jesus, suddenly this diminishes in its importance. In fact, Tammy, would you put the next slide up? Jesus grabs Jairus' attention and refocuses it from fear to faith. Look past the problem to the problem solver. Trust Jesus no matter what others say. He is worthy of our trust. And the fourth thing in our text that fights our faith sometimes are overwhelming circumstances. And I want you to trust Jesus no matter how the circumstances look. That's the next fill in the blank. How the circumstances look. It looks hopeless. They come to the house. People are laughing at Jesus because Jesus said she's asleep. Now Jesus knows that she is dead. And in a moment, her spirit is going to come back. And the Bible oftentimes talks about when our spirit leaves our body, our body is, is dead. And he calls it being asleep. And Paul writes to, to the Philippians and the Corinthians that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So your spirit is gone and the body is dead, but the spirit is about to come back. Now, the circumstances for Jairus look pretty hopeless, and people laugh even at the possibility. You know, Pharaoh's army is coming and bearing down on the Israelites, and people thought, oh, it's over. Remember when Samson had his eyes gouged out, and he's chained, and he's brought out in front of the Philistine leaders to be made sport of? Remember the walls of Jericho were impenetrable? Daniel was going to be locked in the lion's den and was locked in the lion's den. The furnace was heated seven times hotter than normal for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in each event, the circumstances looked overwhelming, didn't they? 
When you receive the call from the doctor's office and it's not good news, it seems overwhelming. It seems overwhelming when the boss calls you in and says, you know, work is slow and I need to lay you off. I need to cut your hours. No, 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 I have debts. No, no, sorry. You seem to be overwhelmed with circumstances when the school calls or you get that call in the middle of the night and things are not the way they're supposed to be. Tammy, would you throw the next slide up? There is always more going on in the spiritual realm that we can't see. So don't let your circumstances dictate your belief. We serve a mighty God. He is a mighty warrior, and He's powerful to save. Jesus is worthy of our trust, even when the culture doesn't like Him. Jesus is worthy of our trust, even when we don't feel like we're worthy. Jesus is worthy of our trust, even when others want us to focus on another solution other than Jesus. And Jesus is worthy of our trust, even when our circumstances look bad. Jesus is worthy of our trust because He is the only one that can save us. He's the only one who is able to help us. Remember two weeks ago, He defeated the storms? He just said, peace be still, and suddenly the, the, the lake was, was calm. Last week, He took on an army of demons and this guy named Legion. We just saw Him heal a woman of disease, and we just saw Him raise a little girl to death from death. For people who are two polar opposites and everyone in between, Jesus is the one that can get the job done. And your faith is taking it on the chin and doubt starts to creep in and our circumstances start to overwhelm us. I want you to remember this passage. Remember what Jesus said. Do not fear. Keep on believing. Let's go back to the text for a moment. Look at the very last part. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And then he says this really weird off-the-wall thing. What does the text say? He says, uh, I want you to feed the little girl. Give her something to eat. She's probably not eating for days because she probably had a high fever and she wasn't able to keep food down. She's in a weakened state even though she's raised from the dead. I want you to understand that divine intervention comes alongside common sense of human care. Let me say that again. Divine intervention comes alongside human care that comes from common sense. Otherwise, we can find ourselves presuming against God. God does and will take care of us, but He may not do it in the way we expect. He expects us to use common sense and godly wisdom. Did you read this week about the, the young couple that had to bury their child and now they're in charge with manslaughter? The child got an infection, bronchitis, but because of their faith, they refused to administer medicine. Then it went into pneumonia. 
and they still refused to give the child antibiotics and the child died. God comes along and says, I am all-powerful, but I get to choose how I will save you. And just because we don't get saved the way we, don't, or we want doesn't mean that God doesn't love us or cares for us or has provided a way for us. They said it was a lack of faith to administer the medicine. You know, we're supposed to trust in Jesus and let him figure out which way he's going to handle it. If you're drowning and God sends you a boat, do you say, no, I don't want the boat, God. I want to walk on water. That's the way I want to be saved. See, people get confused about putting their faith in the loving God and putting faith in the way He delivers. Do you see the difference? Your faith shouldn't be in how God is going to save you. However He does it, give Him the glory. Whether it was a touch of a hymn, which was indirect, or the raising of a hand, which was directly. God can operate both indirectly and directly when our faith is active. Following Christ, well, he's just going to take care of the details. And it's probably going to be different for each and every one of us. Following Christ is a little bit like an oxymoron. In order to be saved, you have to die. In order to be free, you have to be a slave. In order to be great, you have to be the servant of all. Okay, the medic in our introduction, he had to choose who to help, a somebody or a nobody. And I'm glad Jesus is powerful enough that he gets to help all of us if we get to choose him. Let me pray.